Welcome to Secret Handshake, the podcast that covers the movies that help you identify your friends and maybe make a few more along the way. This week, spine number eight, Battle Royale, the original teen-on-teen violence. There's blood. There's romance. There's, you should have listened to your teacher in school, damn it. Martin? Yeah. It's not a bad thing to be loved. Wait, that's the one you went with? Hmm? この国はすっかりダメになってしまいました。そこで今日は皆さんにちょっと殺し合いをしてもらいます。バトルロワイヤル。やめ。嫌なやつだと思うかもしれないけど、他のみんなが怖いもん。みんなは必死になって戦って生き残る価値のある大人になりましょうおじおじ死亡してんじゃねえごめんな俺が殺した反則だよな Welcome back to the latest episode of Secret Handshake. I'm your host, Jacob Knight, and joining me as always is Cody Bouchard. Hey. <laughs> God damn it. And <laughs> Martin Carlson. How's it going? I, I was hoping that you would do a Japanese voice, too. No, I'm just going to keep, just gonna, keep, keep it cool. <laughs> just going to leave. Three white guys in a room don't think we should be doing Japanese impersonations. Nope, just going to just... <laughs> But Cody, it's okay, Cody. We uh-huh. look to you to be the problematic one. Yeah, I never, never in my wildest did I think that I would be the one. You're the wild card. Kicking up so much dust. <laughs> yeah. Wild you're, card. You're the Charlie of our group. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's a good wild card. <laughs> I cut the brakes. <laughs> so this week we have 2000's Battle Royale. And this is uh, Cody's pick. And before we go any further, I should tell you that this episode is brought to you by Monkey's Head Rum. I think that's what it's fucking Deadhead Rum. Is it Deadhead Rum? Whatever it is, it's delicious. Uh, if you're listening, Deadhead Rum people out there, send us a free bottle or you know a case because I'll drink the shit out of it and I will plug it to our three listeners. It is delicious. And a call out to Hunter Wayne for giving it to me for my birthday. Hunter. Yeah. Yeah, your boy sent it sent you a bottle from L.A., yep, right? Yep, it's a, it a wonderful birthday gift. Because this is like chocolate 
smoky chocolate, chocolate dark char- ch- dark chocolate rum is yeah. what yeah it's delicious yeah, smooth hold on. It's smoky allow me it's allow me to take a oh yeah coats the throat real well it actually does it has a very yeah comes in a real fun bottle it's a, a monkey's head like a porcelain kind of yeah it's eyes and mouth sewn shut yeah, like yeah. a shrunken monkey's head it's I dig it. So if you're a fan of both rum and animal cruelty, this is the drink for you. Oh. Or if you just like Cannibal Holocaust, I think it's a good... That's amazing. Uh, now we just need turtle rum. soup rum. My favorite. So, Cody. Next week, shark fin rum. Oh, yeah. That's why when we watch Cruel Jaws. <laughs> I watched the trailer, by the way. It's delirious. I, I it? thought I was having an acid flashback. I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. I own it on Blu-ray, so we can watch it anytime. <laughs> Cody? Yeah. This is your pick. It is. Walk us through the pick. I mean, how did I even come to know about this? It must have just been through, because this came out in like, oh, four? 2000. 2000. So yeah, I was still at the video store. I must have heard about it just through coworkers then. I don't even remember. It was just kind of, also, I don't remember a lot of my movies when I first saw them, apparently. There's something wrong with my memory. I should go get checked. Well, and the other thing that we should point out is that this movie's from 2000. It played in festivals, but like it didn't really make its way to America until... Yeah, it had distribution problems. Years later, yeah, because nobody in America wanted to put it out because they were terrified, you know... Uh, school basically school I massacre. Mean, yeah, school massacres in the United States still a hot button topic. I mean, arguably well, even worse now. Not as much now. All the COVID keeps all the gunmen home. Well, yeah, I guess. But like, um, at the time it was like a post Columbine kind of fear that right. if you put this out, it might inspire more shootings. Totally irrational bullshit. Um, because it's about a bunch of Japanese kids on an island who are forced due to a law. To kill each other off until there's only one left. It wasn't clear to me why that law was, why that law came about at all. That's a problem I have with the film. No, because at the end, at the end, the two survivors go out into society, and everybody else is still going along fine. Well, they explain it in the opening text that it's, um, you know, there's a rise in in school violence and and kids basically being out of control. The economy has kind of bottomed out in Japan. This is like the near future. So like they explain it. It's just real fast. They they kind of gloss over it. I think that was why my issue is that you think about like world building or setting up like where you're at. You think about escape from New York and it's just this very clear like yeah, you know, but it, it, but I mean to be fair, Escape from New York does literally the same exact thing. It's just text at the beginning with Jamie Lee Curtis narrating, and then you're just in the world, right? No, and I'm not trying to. I just feel like it's like maybe I've seen that film so many times versus Better Off in a couple times, uh, right? But like it's it's actually it actually feels like a very Carpenter movie at times. It's that kind of that kind of plot, right? You oh, know? it's it's totally fantastical, and it's essentially like a a fable. Almost. I mean, even the director, Kinji Fukasaku, labeled it a fable. Like, when he was making it, when he was doing the press rounds. I mean, he made it when he was 70 years old. Yeah, he passed away during production of the sequel, and then his son took over. Exactly, yeah. And his son had to finish production on it. Um, but he he labeled this movie his, like, violent fable about uh, the youth, and the youth run amok, because to, according to him... This was a real problem in Japan at the time, and that was part of why he made the movie. Mm. I wonder if that comes out of like their honor-based society, and he just felt like kids were getting further and further away from that. 
Um, I, I was reading an interview with him, not to get kind of too far ahead of ourselves, but like I was reading an interview where part of it was because, you know, there was a rise in youth-based crime in Japan at the time. And the other part was kind of a generational divide that he saw that um, not necessarily that it was total disrespect on the, the kids' parts, but it was also a uh, apathy on the adults' parts and the older generation because, you know, Fukasaku, it, do you, how much do you guys know about him? Very Honestly, little. not much. Okay, so Fukasaku, uh, totally uh, fascinating individual because, you know, he was born in the 30s, was drafted into the Japanese military at 15 and he worked on the front lines and in the ammunition factory during World War II and actually uh, his, where he worked and he was bombed and half of his class was basically drafted in with him died in this bombing and these kids who basically worked in these ammunition factories had to hide under the dead bodies to stay to basically remain alive Uh um and then after that had to shovel the corpses out themselves like they were in charge of their disposal but after world war ii you know so he's basically living with these this memory and these scarrings of like you know seeing this amount of death at 15 but then he also lived through essentially the reconstruction of Japan uh, following World War II, uh, the occupation, the economic rebuilding. And then at the time, you know, he's going through and going to film school and ends up making, he kind of has the definition of like a true journeyman's uh, career. He one of Japan's most prolific directors, um, ends up making a bunch of early uh, period movies and what were called it like gangster or gang movies made it even uh, a film with Sonny Chiba. Um, and then, you know, kind of rose to promise because he, he was an in-house director for Toei who produced battle Royale, um, worked for a few of their subsidiary subsidiaries and then worked for Toei themselves and, uh, ended up, like replacing Akira Kurosawa on the Japanese parts of Tora Tora Tora. Um, what else? Made the Japanese uh, version of Star Wars, which was Message from Space, which have you ever seen Message from Space? Totally bananas ripoff movie where like Vic Morrow is plays the drunken like Han Solo character. Yeah, it's nuts. Like I've seen it in 35 millimeter, a whole bunch of fun. Um, you know, it has, like, its version of the droids. It's basically pirate ships in space. Like, it takes, like, the space pirates version of it and makes it quite literal. But also made um, a movie called, in the late 60s, called Black Lizard, uh, which featured uh, one of Japan's, if not their most prolific drag queen at the time. And it was an adaptation adaptation of a uh, Mishima play who he was adapting a novel by Rampo. Oh, that's heavy. (laughs) And it's a, it's a diamond heist movie where uh, black lizard, the the main character who's played by this uh, drag queen uh, is essentially, it's all about how she seduces all these men and uh, makes their way out to, to uh, 
basically acquire this masterful diet or this priceless diamond. Um, but so he's like this really progressive, uh, forward thinking guy. And then he changes the face of action cinema in the early seventies with the Yakuza papers movies, um, with, um, the main one that most people know that's the most iconic is, uh, battles without honor and humanity, which Tarantino stole pieces of music from, you know, there's the famous walking sequence in kill bill. That's set to one of the themes from that movie. Um, and he just, he had one of the craziest careers in like Japanese cinema history. And then during like the late seventies through the eighties made like a lot of samurai and like historical epic type stuff. So he, he jumped genres a lot like a Italian yeah. kind of workman journeyman director, um, just wouldn't turn anything down, but also had his own, uh, stamp with everything that he made because he would make a lot of cop and gangster movies that were known for their hyperkinetic violence, which he brings to Battle Royale, one of the most violent motion pictures of all time. So that that was uh, Fukasaku in a nutshell, in a, like a two-minute nutshell. It was a great, was yeah, a great nutshell. Very thorough. I like that. So, but Cody, you don't remember when you first saw this movie? No, I, I don't. Was it like DVD? Was it? Because I remember when we were watching it, you were talking about how you would like see it on at bars, like particularly down on Sixth Street. At yeah, like uh, Jackalope in the back room. Yeah, because yeah, they, I, they always play some really good. Yeah, Casino uh, El Camino does that too. Same thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. They'll always have like metal or like Guns and Roses that, playing, and then meet, that meet very the well happen too. It, it, very, yeah. it very well could because there's been a couple of times where something's been playing like on the back bar at Jackalope where I had no idea what it was, and I asked the bartender, and they would know, and then I'd go you know rent it and check it out and be like, oh, "This is fucking amazing." There was a similar one, another Japanese film. Don't remember the name of it, but it's like cops and mutants and i don't know mugshots would do that too because like they had like a bunch of movies like hooked up to the r.i.p mugshots uh, r.i.p mugshots uh, and, I, and i'll be there with with ashby and he's like what do you want to watch on a slow night yeah and he's like gave me the remote and we just like a thousand movies in alphabetical order to select from and it was all weird like cult shit and it was it was fun as fuck yeah so beautiful it's such a beautiful thing such a, a loss yeah but anyway um Martin, do you remember when you saw this movie for mm-hmm. the first time? Because I have a weird story about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. mine's not too crazy. I, I think it was 2014. Um, I'd heard of it. It's one of those films I just heard of for years. And um, my best friend, John, um, who is a very big fan of Japanese cinema, and my friend Steve as well, um, were both big fans of it. And then John, I think actually John hadn't seen it yet, but Steve hadn't loved it. And so John and I sat down. We, we got to watch this movie finally. Like we'd heard so much. This is like you know, 14 years after it came out. Um, but I remember wa- watching it at his house and um, like both really enjoying ourselves. And you know, it's it's kind of it's weird. Like you're not really sure what to expect because it's, it's a film that I think like in certain circles is talked about a whole fucking lot. You know, especially in the genre circles, it's just. It's referenced in modern movies a lot, too. Well, it's also notorious for a little while because it was actually hard to see in America yeah. for the longest time. Yeah. It has a kind of, it has a definitely that kind of forbidden, like, a forbidden nature to it. That Even though it's, it's easy to find now, it's like, you know, there's different copies of it out there in different Blu-ray editions. Yeah, we that, were, But you still had that history of this was almost like, you know, I Am Curious Yellow or Blue still has that kind of... 
Well, and it was it was controversial in its own country too because it got it was one of the rare films that actually got an R fifteen, which means that nobody under fifteen was allowed to see it. Period. Like, and it was it was, wow. it was censored, not censored. That's the wrong thing to say, but it was regulated by uh, Japan's own uh, film regulatory commission. Who, I mean, the film industry actually elects those people so like when fukasaku would even talk about it when he would go do press rounds and stuff he would be very diplomatic because he would be like well i don't want to offend anybody on there because those are my colleagues they're all essentially uh, elected to do what they're doing but he also says that it frustrated him because he made this movie for 15 year olds if you can believe that or not like he said like he wanted it to not necessarily be a message movie but he wanted that generation to also see it and take away the ideas that maybe violence is spiraling out of control and that, you know, we're not blaming you because the adults are, it's almost like a failure of the institutions uh, that it's, it's run this rampant because that's really what uh, Takeshi Katano's character is supposed to represent. This idea that like the... Uh, environment can get so far out of control that it can actually beat down the generation who's supposed to regulate it and who's supposed to care and like wrangle that in. And that if you don't have any checks and balances, it just goes haywire. And that's when you have fascism and like really right, not necessarily right wing, but like the uh, ultra conservative kind of point of view of like, well, how do we get rid of it? Have them kill each other off. Yeah, can you, um, just for clarification, I've only seen it now twice, but so at the beginning you have um, obviously last year's Battle Royale, right? The the, the right. surviving girl, a great shot of her with the braces and like smiling and like, holding her like teddy bear, right? Covered in, right. Covered in blood. So it's... Which, which is also something that I find interesting about the movie is that none of this is televised. It's that's what not, I'm... It's that, not like The Running Man or anything like this. All happens in secret. That's the, my question the, is they're interviewing her like it's the, the hung, like it's the Hunger, Hunger Games, Games though. Like it's this big deal. Like there, there's a news crew there and then our, our heroes a year later... I'm guessing it's a year later. Um, right, yeah. Are, You're the following year's classes. Who's they are, have no idea about Battle Royale. So right. my, my question is like, who are these people interviewing? Who is it for? Versus Hunger Games, like it's part of the society. Everyone knows what it is. Running Man obviously is like the biggest show on television. Well, and like Hunger Games is a part of like the popular, <laughs> like in that world, like the actual Hunger Games is part of like the popular culture. Like Absolutely. they are like the... Contestants are nominated. They're offered as tribute. They're they're lionized like beforehand and like taken to like the higher echelons it's their, it's of society. They're gladiators in a coliseum. Yeah, no, exactly. That's the best way to put it, Cody. But they, um, you know, in battle royales near future, this all happens in secret. Which I have a theory about that, but like I don't because know. the population at large would probably not approve. And well, I think it's also a way to terrify the parents. To where it's like your kid can get nominated and you have no control over it. Like their class can be sent off to kill one another off and it's all going to happen in secret. You're not going to be able to watch it. And for all you know, they're not going to like more than likely they're not going to come back alive. The one in 40 chance. But it's like yeah. you're but because it's almost to me 
a way, sort of like how we're talking about with like the older generation being nothing but apathetic and the younger generation kind of running wild, is that it almost feels like a way to both punish the younger generation by just having them murder each other, but then also punish the parents because of the general level of apathy and the fact that like, hey, you obviously don't care enough to take control of this situation. So we're going to take, the government's going to take care of it for you in the most extreme way possible. And there's nothing you can do about it. And like, it's like sending your kids off to war literally. And like, if almost you, like drafting your kids, exactly like drafting your kids in the war, like to bring it back to Fukusaku's actual background. And there's nothing, there's literally nothing you can do at that point. Right. The, the thing though, I, I wonder is one of the strange things about the film to me is if they wanted, I, I can see this being made in a different way where the kids are out of control at the beginning. Like, our our, this our is Japan, Japan's version of scared straight. Yeah, but it's like our heroes, I mean, these kids, right, are actually like very well behaved. Like when we first meet them, this group, they're on a bus. Like they're taught, they're joking about like, oh, can I have some cookies? They're talking about, oh, I have a crush on this boy. Versus like some films where you have like class in 1999, which is a lot of similar themes where it's like, it's just bananas. It's bananas, like gang, like gang war on the street. So we have to bring in these like cyborgs to put things straight. So it is, it is, it is a little strange though, that it starts out. It's like it, for me, doesn't go all the way with it where I don't understand why looking at these characters, that there's any sense of them deserving it. Right. You, you know, and it, I think that's part of the point well, is and, that it's the randomness. And that, it. yeah, I think you're, you're very much right about that, but it's like, I, well, and it also like, it's not 100% clear. Um, because I think it's more, cause this is based on a manga. Right? Yeah, exactly. I think it's more made clear in the actual text. Um, is that, Takeshi Katano nominates them after he's attacked in school. And that so doesn't come across strong in the movie either for yeah. me. It's like, wait, so he, he's, because in my mind, it's like, did he start Battle Royale? It's a little bit confusing. Yeah. You know, there is some narrative humps, I because, think, in the film. Well, because you have the two prologue, like the two prologues to the movie, to where you have, you know, what you just described, to where it's like, we meet the winner of the the last battle royale we only get a glimpse of her but this is like your idea of like oh shit this is what it means like this kid's the only one to survive look how the happy news, she is yeah the it's news media swarms them and it kind of almost feels like they're this again could be more my like interpretation of it but like almost seems like they're framing it to become propaganda in a way and then you have the second uh prologue to where it's Takeshi Kitano He's sitting in his empty classroom. His classes left him a note on the blackboard being like, fuck you, we basically took the day off. And then his uh, favorite student walks in. Um, Mitsuko, I want to say, is her name. I think so. Um, But she walks in, uh, sees him sitting there. They kind of have a moment together, which we later learn in the the film that they have quite the interesting relationship. Um, And then he is attacked randomly in the hallway he's stabbed she picks up the knife and is basically covered in blood and then we cut to the next year to where he is essentially you know they're all on the bus as you even said like they're just be they're just kids being fucking kids like seeming like they're going on a field trip and then they uh are gassed knocked out and put in this like 
kind of to bring it back to what Cody said, like, almost like a scared straight episode where they all wake up in this barren classroom that's like caged. There's armed guards Military everywhere. Personnel, yeah. yeah. And then Takeshi Katano's like, guess what? You're all picked for fucking Battle Royale. And Good he does luck. it. That guy's performance is amazing. He does oh my it God, so. Yeah. He does it with, he does it like in a matter of fact way to where it's, I mean, it's, it's not monotone, but it, it just like kind of holds the same level or note. I don't, I don't know how to put that. Well, we were that's, just, that's just him. Yeah, yeah that's just that's, <laughs> that's his, his style. style of all right, it's great. Here we go. You, uh, you're you're in this thing now. The government made you all got to kill each other. Yeah, well, and that's kind of one of the things that also makes this movie so special is that you have, you know, one of Japan's most prolific directors in Fukusaku now working with one of its greatest actors, comedic stars, like auteurs. Because, Martin, you were saying that you and your dad were like a huge, which I found kind of fascinating, is that you and your dad were a huge fan of Katano's work growing up. So it's kind of a funny, interest, like, interesting thing. We, we were in Italy in 2001. And we were staying in Rome, and in this is before Maximum Extreme's Challenge was redubbed for America. Okay. But it was called Takeshi's Castle, which is the original title of that show. And so he was, we're like, and it's just, you know, obviously it's like Wipeout, it's this ridiculous, you know, game show. And we're like, this guy's fucking great. Like he's deadpan. I have no idea. What he's, they had, they had. Italian subtitles, so I definitely had no idea what was going on on the show. This is like a scene from Hostel. Right, and we're, and we're watching it, and we're like really laughing, and then we got back, and my dad was like um, talking to, I think, the, the, uh, the Japanese professor at the college he worked at, and said, um, hey, like there's this, this actor, and I think she told my dad, like who he was? Oh, she goes. Oh, he's like one of the biggest fucking actors, like in uh, in Japan. You should check out uh, Sonatine uh, Fireworks. And so he got it for the the local college, and we saw it on thirty five millimeter. And I remember just oh, like nice. and seeing the scene where he stabs a dude in the eye with the fucking pencil. You know, me, I'm like I think seventeen or eighteen with a bunch of like college students and my dad, and um, we both just kind of became fans. And I saw brother. Um, and obviously, I didn't realize I'd already seen him in Johnny Mnemonic. Like, I just had kind of gone. I hadn't. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's in Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah, he, he's awesome in that part. And um, But he whenever he's he, whenever he's in something, he just brings that, like, you're like, he's fucking there. I mean, for a guy like you were saying, could he's so kind of deadpan? Like, yeah. he has so much, like, there's so much going on behind his eyes. That weird twitch exactly. he does. Yeah, that's you know? a much better way. Of yeah, he's kind of like Japan's version of Clint Eastwood in mm-hmm. a way. That's what you're saying during the movie, and I, I agree. He's got a tough guy thing, but it's, it's like he's really funny. Like oh, he's hilarious. He's, he's really tough, funny. But he's not threatening. Yeah, he's and this one he definitely has like a, a sense of pathos, like this this kind of somber. Like he he wants revenge on these kids, but also you could tell he has this you know connection to Mitsuko. He's like a middle school gym teacher that's like a year away from retirement. Yeah, things got out of control. Oh, and her name is Noriko by the by the way. I just looked it up. Is it Noriko? Yeah, so that we're not basically butchering names on yep. this one. Noriko or Noriko? I have a hard uh, enough time. I Noriko. Okay. N O R I K O. Hmm. I fucked it up the first time. I no, I'm just like, yeah, I'm just trying to remember. Um, I'm bad at remembering names. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of names in this. There's so many. There's like 38 main characters to start. Yeah, and they just wipe each other out the entire time. But that's the main body of the movie is that they literally wake up 
uh, Takeshi Kitano has this long monologue and then also like showcase where he even blows up one of the kids' heads because they have collars around their necks uh, that basically regulate where they're able to go. And if they right. go to the, the wrong uh, portion of the island where this all takes place, they they're basically neck will puncture and they'll spray blood everywhere and they'll fucking die. It's, it's running man, but less explosive. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> really gory. But, uh, and then they're all given, they, they watch this crazy ass video. That's essentially like almost like this instructional video. It's a propaganda instructional video. Exactly. Yeah. You should be excited. It's very, I mean, it's very like high energy Japanese with the girl. And yeah. It's very, it's very cute. Yeah. It's like, you're going to be on very a fun cutesy. game show. Yeah. You don't, you're not, a, yeah, you're not aware that, it's like, oh, shit. And then they all get one bag yep. with, you know, a loaf of bread, some water, and then a weapon. And their weapon could range from, like, a machine gun to, like, a pot lid, depending on what, you know, their luck, essentially. And then they're sent off into the fucking wilderness to kill each other. And kill each other they do. Well, it's great. I just like the Hunger Games didn't copy this at all. Um, and <laughs> it's it's, like... I saw Hunger Games before I saw this, and I'd heard about this film, and I watched it, and I was like, there's no way this came out in 2000. Like, this is, like, egregious, right. egregious copying of, of Battle Royale, Hunger Games is. Yeah. I half agree, because because there's a lot of, uh, like, Logan's run in... Hunger yes, the, the the Hunger Games, especially the movies, reminded me a lot of yeah, those seventies like, like sci-fi movies that kind of came out and were all dystopian and everything. To where oh, like, that was right in the vein of Westworld. Yeah, it, like shit like that. To where it, it's not exactly like I see it. There's obviously huge chunks of it that belong, but I I don't know. I feel like they're also after two totally different things. No, and I, I totally agree. I think like the ultimate environment is very much like you said, like the seventies, like dystopia that they're trying to make into a utopia by ways of, I guess it is kind of a, a fucked up utopia where you have different classes of people and everyone's kind of delegated to their work. Like that is, she's pulling from other um, sources, Susan Collins, but then you have the game itself, especially in the first sure. book is like, holy shit. Idea of the randomness of getting, you know what? What? Um, What's basically laid out in the middle of the battlefield? Yeah, hunger for games. what? For what you grab? And, but at the same time, like I don't want to be too hard on hunger games because you also have stories like again, like Running Man, and this is not the first one that deals that kind of idea of like, even like the idea of a gladiator. Like it's it's this kind of theme that goes back through literature for a long time. Well, this of, is uh, like battle royale is very much like I'm going to fall back on calling it a fable many times because it's almost a mythic level of storytelling. Uh, it doesn't. It's not necessarily worried about all the details and the logic of it. It wants you to really more feel it, especially once you get into the kids being on the island. Because the awesome thing about this movie for me has always been the fact that they feel like kids. They feel like fifteen-year-olds yeah. who are thrown into an unwinnable situation, who are terrified and fall back on the only things that really matter to them. Who has a crush on who? Who has like an old alliance with who? Who was bullied? Who was made to feel like they were fat and ugly? It's very Lord of the Flies. Yeah, exactly. And like they band together and they react in the way that kids do because Fukusaku even went out of his way to cast people. Some of them are noticeably older, but he cast some actors who were right in the age range to basically play these characters, which gives it 
a a level of real I don't want to call it realism but let's say it, it makes it more tangible when ra- rarely in films with kids do you have real kids I mean they're yeah. supposed to be teenagers but like, they're really teenagers they're usually played by 22 year olds right who are like very like sexed up and 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 pushed forward in that way especially like in American cinema as well like, yeah. like slasher films are supposed to be 18 year olds and it's all like 35. Yeah, exactly. You know, and there's really not a whole lot of that here at all. No. Um, and then, you know, Fukusaku really leans into the melodrama of it all. Like it's all about, I mean, obviously it's literal life and death, but it's like they have these deathbed confessions about who had a crush on who. Do you think it would be weird that we ever died like a virgin like stuff that again would only matter to you if you were fifteen. Yeah, these are all things that I covered in my uh, AOL Instant Messenger conversations. Yeah. <laughs> what was your AOL Instant Messenger name? Oh Jesus! Uh, I'll tell you mine. I had, have no idea. Mine one hundred percent had DMB in it. Really? Oh yeah. Mine was. <laughs> mine was. Uh, that surprises me. I know. I, I had no idea C, you listened to Dave. Martin C eighty three was. Mine. Oh, I was. I was big into Dave. Dave Matthews, that is. <laughs> oh, Dave. Oh, I think God. mine was a like green, silver, or something like that. Wiener, Wiener Talk 93. <laughs> yeah. It was, it's little, don't look. Eat. 03, 03. How does this work? 25, 25. <laughs> one, but, one a cyber. That was it. But I think uh, what's interesting for me is that I saw this movie. This movie was the epitome of a secret handshake film for me. Um, I'm glad that Cody picked it because how I first experienced it was, as I brought up other times on this podcast and will continue to bring up, I, I was big into a screening group in the Philly, New Jersey area called Exhumed Films that would show everything from like Lucio Fulci movies to. Did you guys rent out theaters movies. or did somebody have a projector? No, no, no. It was it was a group of buddies who lived in the you know the Philly and New Jersey area, who kind of all grew up together, and they always wanted to show their own movies. They wanted to program, they essentially wanted to bring back the grindhouse experience of like Got programming it. their own double and triple features and splatter movies. Like I believe the first movie, if I remember correctly, that they ever, uh, they ever programmed was a double bill of Lucio Fulci's uh, Gates of Hell and Zombie together. Like on that's a heavy hitter. Yeah, they basically were able to find thirty-five millimeter prints. Um, they started in uh, Haddonfield, New Jersey, uh, I believe was one of, was the first place that they ever started showing stuff. But they would show stuff in old, like dilapidated theaters. Like there was this theater called the Harwin that was just a total shithole. You know, smelled like piss and vomit, and sometimes there would be like homeless people sleeping in it. But you know, I guess it added to the experience. Yep. But like, you know, they would show everything from that to. I remember seeing when I was like a kid, at like sixteen or seventeen, seeing uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Three D on actual silver screen three D in this yeah. like New Jersey theater. But anyway, out before the screenings, like part of the fun would be you would go and you would make friends at these things like regular people because like everybody who went to these was just total weirdos because this was back before you know the days of like the hardcore internet where you could find out anything or you could really advertise or whatever like i think i first discovered them on on like message boards or something 
and like know, online message boards yeah or like online legit, like corkboard pinup no like online message boards okay. and stuff but like that was the the you know the the vast majority of the internet at the time especially if you were like a film fan right and even at the shows themselves they made up their own little punk rock flyers of like double bills that they were going to show and like what was coming up and whatever but like in the lobby they would also have tables of everything from like they started with almost like bootleg hand labeled like VHS tapes to like import DVDs and everything because two of the guys uh Josie Joseph Gervaisi and Jesse Nelson went on to found a Diabolic DVD uh, which is now like one of the biggest if not the biggest like if you want cult horror like import DVDs and Blu-rays I go to Diabolic like first um, but their tables originally were, was mostly like bootleg shit. And I remember me and my friend Tony basically chipping in like 10 or 12 bucks a piece to buy a Korean bootleg of Battle Royale. And we went, I think it was at a double bill, if I remember right, of Christmas Evil and the Toolbox Murders. Oh, I oh, love yeah. that movie. That's oh, no, classic. it was Black Christmas and the Toolbox Murders. This was back when they were doing shows at this old vaudeville house in a, a town called Pittman, New Jersey, um, that had like everything from like the old-ass balcony that had the wooden seats, the, the whole the, the deluxe, the opera boxes, everything. But we bought this Korean bootleg of Battle Royale, when we would go to these movies and then we'd go home and just get high as fuck and stay up all night and talk about them. Well, we got high as fuck, put this bootleg DVD, not knowing that all of the menu was going to be in Japanese. And we were so, <laughs> or Korean or whatever it was, it was, we were so fucking high that we couldn't figure out how to turn the subtitles on. So we just watched the first hour of Battle Royale before we passed out, just without subtitles. And it was still fucking awesome. Because you that's the type of movie making that you're really dealing with here is that you can, you still can track follow what's going the on. majority of what's happening. And at this point, again, like through word of mouth and like, you know, the early days of the internet and like talking to your other film nerd friends, like Battle Royale had already like amassed this kind of legendary reputation as being this notoriously violent film and then when you watch it you're like yeah this actually delivers yeah it's definitely it's not the most violent film i've ever seen obviously well, no no not, i just not not by today's standards well and, and that's actually interesting because when i first saw it i, I still think it's shocking though i still watch it and i'm shocked by some of it uh, i'm not just to be honest like i i guess i came to it so late that i maybe i'm a fucked up person but Jacob's Martin. eyes with the record just got so big. <laughs> Martin, Martin just took his balls out and was like, you know what? Right here. No, I just, <laughs> and I'm not, you know, I, I think I want to be affected by movies. I want to be like blown away, but holy shit. Um, I want you to shock me. I want you to fucking shock me. And there are moments, <laughs> it's really hard. Um, but I think there are most of the film that are definitely shocking, but I think coming to it after like, at that point, after already seeing Martyrs and like Cannibal Holocaust, when you go like and you, you were a hardened hoe, I was hardened, and you're and you're told that this movie is so fucked up. And I like Battle Royale a lot, but it wasn't as shocking as I expected. So I think I just always had that initial. It ne- never lived up to the insanity as I was promised. See, this is one of the few films like shit like this and like Cannibal Holocaust, which I saw for the first time on 35 millimeter at the Pittman because of Big Zoom Films, like. 
these were the movies that actually lived up to the hype to where I was like, oh shit, this is actually fucked up and violent. And that, Cannibal Holocaust is, I think, probably number one for me in that, where I was just told, I heard about it for years. My friend and I finally had a night where it's like, let's fucking go rent it. Let's see it. Sure. And then we were watching it and we're just saying, we're yelling no at the screen the whole time. Like, don't, don't do that. Don't (laughs) kill that monkey. Like, it's so fucked up. And what's sort of crazy to me is that both of these movies that were notoriously hard to find for so long are now on like Shudder. Like like when Shudder first launched, I remember just being like baffled by the the very notion that like I could just log on to this streaming site and watch fucking Cannibal Holocaust in like a 4K restoration. What are you kidding me? And then Battle Royale is the same. Like Battle Royale has been on like Amazon Prime and shit to where I'm just like, anybody can just watch this now. I don't think that it... Takes away from it, right? I don't know. Yeah, there's a larger conversation to have. Um, it's kind of like when you uh, when you hear about or learn about a band before they get big, and then they get big, and you're like, I knew about them back in the day. Yeah, well, I I think there's a larger conversation to have about the notion of the cult film and like what actually exists anymore in terms of quote unquote cult, which we have kind yeah, of covered before. Um, to where I don't know if it necessarily cheapens, but I miss the thrill of hunting these movies down, of like waiting and hearing about it and reading about it in Fangoria, and just you know, searching out the or searching out these tomes, like the the Psychotronic Movie Guide or like the Scarecrow Video like Movie Guide and stuff, and just reading these blurbs and being and imagining the movie in your head. Well, now you can just go on and torrent them if you really can't find them or you can yep. like stream them on Amazon or whatever. Like nothing is outside of your reach. And does it lessen the movie's impact? No. But does it cheapen the hunt? 100%. Same I, with the music these days because yep. you can stream everything. There used sure. to be a great CD store or just music store in Austin called Cheapos. And their whole like commercial thing was you would just hear click, 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 click. And that's because people just like flipping through the jewel cases of CDs. Yeah. It's just, like the, finding, you're, it's, you're, the, you're, you're, it's, it's the hunt, you're hunting for jewels. Yeah. The crate digging aspect. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I, I totally agree with you guys. Cause I, I think it's a conversation we've, we've even had off, obviously many times off the podcast of just like the, the importance of physical media and like the rarity of physical media. Yeah. And for instance, like for the, our movie, we're in, this weekend going to watch um, Necronomicon and I'm so excited because it's impossible to find that movie. We've talked about that. Yeah. You literally hunted down a VHS of this movie during the last week's recording. I was like, I'm going to go on eBay and I found it for 25 bucks. And I was punked. It's like, I want to see it, but I like that it was hard. Like it's been so long. So I've had to actually yeah hunt down a fucking movie and yeah like and i'm lending you a vcr so we can watch so we can it. watch it but it's like that's, that's fuck, awesome that's so fucking cool or my friends um a couple months ago before covid i had never seen freddy's nightmares the show and it's like not available anywhere and my friend has the first five on vhs and he's like we're having a freddy's nightmares night and so the same thing trying to get a vhs hooked up to like that tv and getting it all together it was like this cool thing of like and watching also like VHS is so cool, kind of like vinyl in a similar way where you, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't want to go too off topic, but I, I agree. Like there's something about that time of my life. I'm thinking early 2000s where I would hear of a movie and I would, I'm fucking Indiana. And this is like pre a lot of internet shopping, you know, it really wasn't, there's no Amazon, there's no easy internet shopping. eBay was like in its infancy. So I'd be like, I want to find this horror film. What do I do? You know, how, 
can't find it anywhere. You yeah. Know? And now we, you know, it's, it's at our fingertips. Like the fact that you're like, this is on prime, like some kid can scroll through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just bananas. Like if any of us had children, like they could just log on and be like, battle royale. I don't know why our children is suddenly Japanese, but, uh, <laughs> but what do you guys think? Should we get into questions next? Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Translation. Welcome to questions about 2000s Battle Royale. Cody, uh, please push that Japanese man out of your seat. I'm going to turn it over to you. All right. Uh, so for my first question in our question segment, Martin, yep. I hit you first. Uh, what aspect or scene would you incorporate into a project of yours from this film? Hmm. I think like one of the, the best scenes I think is just like is the introduction of uh, Beat Takeshi, Takeshi Kitano when he's they wake up on the island. I just think presenting like what the deal is, um, just the creepiness and the kind of weirdness and his off vibe. Um, I also just love the setting of like a, a dilapidated classroom um, that and it'd be a tie with I just love the. Um, the crazy gunfight with the Uzi, um, with the poison. That's the po- same thing. The poison, oh, right? That was and, gonna be mine. Yeah, I just think that scenes like out of the, out of the whole movie, the most batshit. 
I would want to incorporate that kind of like Fukusaku violence in something in something of mine. Uh, Martin stole mine, <laughs> like a bitch. Um, so I'm going to go with. Honestly, I would probably go with it. the the image that's always been burned into my brain from this movie is towards the end uh, when you know the the kids are essentially rigging up that explosive device because you have the nerds who kind of band together. They become almost like this little sect of like computer hackers. Yeah, and what almost looks like an old hollowed out dilapidated maybe arcade because there's like pinball machines in the back and stuff it's this weird little detail that's always stuck with me begs the question what but, was this island used for yeah like was, was there ever zone? yeah exactly was there there obviously was a society there at some point like or a village or something like something probably a fishing village i would guess if it was an island um but anyway i love the scene where like the explosion is triggered and we haven't even gotten into the two transfer students who basically came into Battle nope. Royale with their own, let's say, agendas. Um, but one of the uh, the crazier of the two, uh, who's this wild-haired, like basically living uh, manga character yeah. with a, an Uzi. His hair is um, spot on, too. It, the explosion goes off. It blinds him. And like as you know, these kids are regrouping, he basically walks over the hill amidst the flames. His eyes are just white from being blinded by this explosion. There's like t- almost like tears of blood coming out. And he's just carrying this Uzi and he's still on the mission to just kill everybody. Uh, and this like rising chorus of almost a like Greek uh chanting comes up and it's just one of those images where you just watching you're like yep this is this is why I watch movies this is so fucking cool and I would steal this in a heartbeat how about you Cody that's incredible um I liked the the twist turn at the end that they they fake you out with when the the, the transfer student actually ends up helping the couple mm-hmm. but it looks like he's gonna kill him in I just I really like the turnaround of that and you have this character that you've been led to believe an entire thing about the entire way. And then it turns on its ear in a dime. Well, let's talk about the transfer students for a minute. Because, like, that is an interesting wrinkle. Because, again, as we kind of said before, like, the rules of the game are <laughs> Yeah, were they supposed to be, like, the government's ace in the hole kind of thing? Well, no, they volunteer for it. Because we get the idea, one... Because um, he won. Yeah. Our good guy won. They're, they're both obviously uh, winners from previous years. But, like... You have, the victors. Yeah, you have one who is essentially seeking revenge of sorts. And then you have, which who, that's Kawada? Kawada, I want to say. Oh, I'm going to just go with Kawada. And then you have another one who's like the total like psychopath whose name I'm trying to look up as I basically talk. Um, but he just comes in. Because he obviously just, I think he just likes killing people. Because yeah, yeah. he, he, he never a says a word the entire movie. Yeah. But it, that's an interesting wrinkle because, like, uh, Kaweda has this entire backstory to where he talks about losing, essentially, the love of his life at the time. And wanting to understand what her dying moments meant. Uh, which I always felt was very poignant 
Um, but he ends up becoming an asset to the other kids and helping them out because he sees the love between basically our, our two main characters, uh, Shuya, like the main kind of meek kid, and then uh, Noriko, uh, B. Takeshi's favorite student. Um, but he's just great because he even has this weird, for lack of a better term, Joker-esque like backstory where he's like, Oh yeah, how did you learn to do this? My dad was a fishing boat captain. Oh, how did you do that? Like, that was a doctor. You, like he cooks them food at one point. How did you learn this? My dad was a chef. How did you yeah, how did you learn to bandage these wounds? My dad was a doctor. And it's just like he's just this resourceful weirdo who also will blow you the fuck away with a shotgun. Yeah, it's his he's probably my favorite character in the movie because he's you never quite and even, like, what happened with that girl is, like, thrown into question. Like, it keeps going back and forth. As you said, Cody, at one point you think it's a lie. Yeah. Where he, oh, he made it up to draw them in and, and it's like, and gain their trust. And his kind of dying moment is, he, he think what he says he realizes from her, from when his love of his life died was, like, how wonderful it is to find a friend, like, in all this shit. Right. You know, um, which is, like, simple, but I agree with Jacob, like, a kind of a poignant moment. Um, and that ties into what Jacob said before about how a lot of a lot of this is just the per, the sensibilities of teenage humans, te- you know, teenage kids, and the, the things that you tie onto are like, well, I liked this person or I had beef with this person, so that's how we're going to group in these things. Yeah, and the other transfer student's name is Kiriyama. We should point out too. He's the bad guy. Yeah, he's the most to me the most iconic character. The the silent, like wild haired assassin who is just there to literally he just spends the entire movie machine gunning people with a fucking ooze mouth agape and yes yeah, like a madman it's lack, awesome. lack of posture the whole time just every with an every time he shows up you're like somebody's dying maybe multiple people i don't know Usually. he reminds me of uh mad dog in hard-boiled like Ooh, the longer call yeah oozy long hair also pretty wild Mad has a little more controlled that like he's a badass like assassin um but yeah, he literally, he's so, like you said, he's so iconic. I mean, he looks like you say you took him right out of a manga. Like, he just has, like, the whole look, like, the per, like that suit, which is, like, very, like, you know, manga school, school yeah. kid. Yeah. The, the Uzi is just, like, has its own look to it as well. Like, the whole thing is, like, so memorable. Well, and it's, like, it's another testament to uh, Fukusaku because, like, he clearly recognizes, like, what, type of source material he's working with yeah and he brings it to life because like these kids are all clad in like you know school you know these very the girls are in cutesy schoolgirl outfits yeah. the the boys are all in shirts and ties that are eventually splattered with blood by the end and like it's just so fucking awesome to look at the whole time i love the color of in a the, non-pervy way but the khaki color of their uniforms too reminds me of like all the soldiers in uh like the wild bunch and how the blood like pops off of like that color in that's in, true i never thought about in that. peck and paws and I, I don't i don't know if i mean like i'm not gonna put words in the director's mouth but for me i kept thinking of wild bunch and just like that color scheme what well, also it makes it impossible for them to camouflage themselves exactly always going to stand out against this very green jurassic park-esque island backdrop they're not hiding if they pop out they're getting fucking shot at with a crossbow or whatever is in their opponent's hands cody what's the next question next one who from your graduating class would you kill first from high school yeah damn 
That's fucked up. <laughs> do you want... Jacob. Do you want me to go first? I want you to go first. I feel like this is a really mean question. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to use a real name. Yeah, just describe them. <laughs> I would kill John Lee. <laughs> he was the guy who beat me for valedictorian. I was actually number two in my wow. class. Wow. I didn't I know that about you. I would kill him. I would kill him because <laughs> I wanted to be valedictorian, but he was Korean and all the Korean kids, like there was a thing in my, in the school that I went to, there was the Korean mafia. And like, if one of them was in your, your grade, you knew you weren't beating them grade-wise because those motherfuckers could study. Yeah. Ooh. Boom. John Lee, you dead. I'm machine gunning that ass. <laughs> um, for me, it's a guy, I'm going to say his name's Devin. <laughs> um, and... Devin, you dead. I wrote him. I wrote him into a script that I did. A, a, a feature. <laughs> you already killed him? I, yeah. I, I did. He's, his character dies in a movie that I made. And Is I had, that a cornfield? Like, no, it's a different story. This is years ago. And a friend, um, I told my mom, I told my mom the movie, and she's like, did you just use the name of that of, De- of Devin? So you didn't change it? Like, it's their first and last name. Oh, <laughs> wait, damn. Wait, so why did you hate Devin so much? Um, he was a, he is for me the definition of just like a douchebag. He mm. this kid was kicked out of middle school for um groping girls like he was expelled at the age of 13 and 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 we talk- I love that this podcast is it's the our a plot line is movies our b plot line is martin's fucked up childhood <laughs> that's true all these things are like all these things are like you know when that happened like what <laughs> You know, uh, the thing and when I kill Devin, uh, uh-uh, no. But when, he, when I kill Devin, I'm gonna wear my gloves. I'm gonna wear only gloves. But I'm gonna take he, him to the mattresses. He, oh. he was, but he went to high school and became like, the, he was like one of the basketball players and like super cool and. He was never like shitty to me, but he had like we talked before, like those shark eyes, Cody. You know, like the black yeah. dead eyes, chef eyes, chef right, and <laughs> exactly. And my mom saw him years later. She's like, I saw Devin. She's like, that kid's fucked up. Like she was just even my mom was the nicest. Wait, did he never leave your hometown? Is he, he one of those he kids left who never and left? came back? Oh, okay, so that's he, even worse. So it's, it's very he's Indiana. Still drive around town in his IROC, like talking about the glory days. No, he's not that. Like, ball in the pa- passenger seat of his IROC. He's honestly not. There are plenty of those guys in my hometown. Believe me, he's not one it's of them. Indiana. He came for money. Like he went and like to pharmacy school. Came back with a oxycontin addiction. Guaranteed. Like you look at his Facebook pictures now. I'm upset. His hilarious. It's like him in Vegas just going. Just like you realize that this is an audio. I know, I know. I'm this is him leaning to the side. This is for Jacob and Cody's. uh, I'm sorry for our listeners, but imagine the dumbest motherfucker you can think of in in his balls on pills and and like one of those like half pools they have in Vegas where you're just like kind of waiting around and he's just like yeah, so you can go to the bar but you don't have to get out to go to the bathroom. Yep, and he's or it's just him in a pastry. He's like, you are just such a piece of shit. Like I hated you then and I hate you now. And in this game of battle royale, you're fucking dead. We're also gonna start an alternate podcast where Martin just talks shit about somebody for like 30 minutes. 
You know me, I'm like, no We're just going to start an podcast called The Carlson Files, where we just hear all the fucked up stories from Martin's childhood. You know me, I'm a pretty, like, I think I like most people, but, like, but then I, when I don't like someone, it's done. (laughs) Yeah, you dislike a lot of people. That's true, I don't. That's, yeah. It's getting longer. (laughs) I used to be like, I like everybody, but, like, I'm 37 now, and now I'm, I'm starting to hate. I love people more, but I hate them more. I hate other people more, too. Yeah. Like, I don't have a general like for humanity. It's like, no, I love certain people, and some people can eat, you know, eat shit. This might be the best question we've ever had on this show. <laughs> Cody, glad who could, are you glad killing? I, supply it. Um, I don't remember her name exactly, but she was just a blonde, blue-eyed, in, entitled... Of course, Cody's killing a woman. I know, right? I'm the only guy to be like, man, fuck that bitch. Not, not cool, Cody. <laughs> <laughs> so problematic, yeah, Cody. Yeah, just, just call me uh, Chrissy from Sopranos from now on. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, she was just very, she came from a, uh, a wealthy family. She's very entitled, uh, didn't have a good perspective of that. So she just took it for granted and also you know, made fun of people that were, in her view, lesser than. And was she was, she was a fucking mean, she was a mean girl, you know. Yeah. So yeah. So I uh, I didn't appreciate. I'm her. surprised you didn't try to bang that out of her. I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't in the players club when I was no. in high school. Yeah. No. That, right. that that came later. How how would you murder this mean girl? Oh, like man. what would be your weapon? Now we're getting into real dark territory. I apologize. I would wring her neck and watch the light drain from her eyes. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> Also, I recently uh, watched The Boys season two, in which that's a similar line. So, <laughs> all right. I'm question... Glad those police sirens came in. Question number three. Jesus Christ! Of the weapons that were offered, and oh. you and you cannot choose the Uzi. Uh, what's your weapon of choice? Damn. The last two episodes have been very dark. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're living in dark fucking times, guys. <laughs> the world's burning around us. Uh, we're doing a podcast. Ten days <laughs> away from the election. Yeah. Literally ten days away. Jesus. Oh, God. It'd be funny to listen back to these, especially if Trump loses. Like When we, he loses? Yeah, to see if like our tone changes at all. Or if it just gets darker. <laughs> or if we're just like, hey, guys, uh, so we're Sorry. canceling the podcast. <laughs> so we're all moving to Canada. <laughs> So, wait, who's going first? Like, oh, uh, best weapon? Yeah. Jake, you went first last time, so let's give this to Martin. Right. Ooh, man. I would... I really like... Um, it's a it's a ninja weapon. It's the... the It's like this big. It's almost like a... Like a, a handheld scythe? Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's what I was going to pick. Yeah. I would, oh, the one hot girl in this... Wait, can I call her hot if she's supposed to be 15? Uh, okay. Well, the one girl in this had kind of a scythe. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. That that I liked her weapon a lot. I um, think her name is actually Mitsuko. I think you're right, and because she's the one who they basically because they thought she was a slut. Yeah, and she also has the very dark child molestation backstory that's really revealed late in the and movie. And pushed the guy down the stairs. He tried fuck. to molest her. It's like fuck. Yeah, that's like one of the the most shocking. But th- that also goes back to what I was talking about with like I don't think that the. Uh, the violence itself on the island is very shocking, but there are moments in this to where, like, it goes to like levels of darkness where I'm like, "Oh shit, I didn't expect this to involve the murder of child molesters." Well, it's like audition, where like auditions already fucked up, and then you go into like her past, 
Yeah. And it's very similarly, you have this like kind of like very yeah. child molester subplot. Like, oh my God, it just adds this whole like. Well, because we haven't even gotten into how this movie doles out information via these kind of glimpsed flashbacks. Weird. Of, like, I, each character's backstory. Okay, so I thought you were going to say the, the text of like how many. Like well, who got I killed love, and what are left, and I didn't love that part because you never like formally associated the number with the character. Well, I think that's the point. Oh, I think okay. it reduces them mm-hmm. numbers. All uh, right, you know, and it's like I love that, but then when you mix it in with those weird quotes that'll be in, it's almost like you're watching somebody's like totally fucked up yearbook come to life. You know, to where it's like you, there are these weird like inspirational quotes or like quotes that. Uh, they remember each other saying like during like the real intimate moments together to where it's like, have you ever had a crush on anybody? And it just feels like something that somebody would scribble in the, your notebook as like this memory for you to like kind of hold on to. Only in this movie, you're holding on to it right before you die. Yeah, it definitely has that like, you know, the uh, futility of life and the fleetingness of, yeah, of youth. youth. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was your answer? Did you say your answer? I haven't. I would just go shotgun. Like, I want the oh, shotgun that bass. the one transfer kid has yeah. because, like, I would do, be doing the same thing he is, is just tying my tie around my head and just running through the wilderness just fucking shotgunning people. <laughs> yeah, he fucks people up. Yeah. I thought the thing that... Rambo cro- shit. A crossbow is just is trouble because you have to reload You got it. one shot. You got one, a pain. You, I don't care how many you, you have. You have to put the thing on the, the ground. The worst weapon reload. ever. I think so, too. Because you also lose your ammunition. Obviously, you lose your ammunition with a gun, too. But, like, the crossbow, like, if you, if that shoots wild, like, fuck that. And then eventually your gun's just useless. Yeah. Although, I guess if you... You can't even really shells. throw it at him. Like, you can't get a good... Yeah. What's yours? So, Pot my first lid. answer would be outside of the box, and I don't think you're going to accept it, but it's collar bomb. What? The, the, the collars. The government-issued collars. I don't know if that counts. Everybody. You're not assigned that. Yeah, all right. Um, if you're in the classroom and you get your bag, what do you want to see in that bag? Cody. Well, assuming I have the skill to use them, the, the throwing daggers, because you can use them in two... Cool. You can use them in, in uh, that's a good one. two modes. You can use them as distance weapon or an up-close weapon. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, so... That, that's Versatile. Good. That's mm-hmm. my take. Next question. Next question. Yeah. Seven we minute got abs. Two survivors in the end to make it out with the assistance of the transfer student and the the teacher. Yeah. What do they what what do they do now? Well, I think that's what the the whole coda is about is that they're fugitives. Yeah, they're right. on they're on the run. But it's also the idea that like you survived this, you survived the worst thing in your life. But this is kept like Where secret you... from the society at large, sort of, right? So well, no, they're all they're outlaws. Like they they showed the newspaper headings where they're wanted for murder because they killed their teacher at the end. Yeah, they're essentially set. Well, not set up, but they're they're charged with the murder of Takeshi Katano's. Uh, uh, teacher so like they're fucked they're outlaws for life unless they go to another country yeah you're just catching the first boat to china yeah exactly but they seem in a weird way kind of content there's this like you were saying like there is this like freeing nature of like you were saying i've already very like thelma and louise what's the idea of shrugging off the system right yeah it's like leaving the things that have shackled you and have been nothing but apathetic towards you i mean it's weird that we haven't even covered how like you know Shuya's dad killed himself because he was so down on his luck, like economically. But like Shuya's dad's final note to him is essentially the inspirational final text of the movie. It's it's run, go for it. Like, 
And that's what the movie is about. Is it's almost all about shrugging off the shackles of institutions and the notion that you are bound to societal essentially op well not even that it's just operate with it inside of these guidelines that might be antiquated and, and oppressive and you need to just go for it and just leave these memories of like youth behind and move on to the next stage of your life there's definitely and we talked about this a little bit when we were watching it but again i'm not my knowledge of Japanese culture is pretty limited, but I do know about like the, we talked about their their testing and how to this day like like in their schooling when you're in high school like you basically take this like placement test for like your future for like work and yeah and that determines and that's it like people stress about SATs but it's like you have one chance it's basically to determine like what you do the rest of your life and so like suicide yeah. is like very high around that time in Japan yeah. And there's a lot of expectations. So I, for me, again, like I don't know this was the purpose of what they were trying to say with the film, but you think about the way, because it's also like you're competing against your other classmates. It's like law school. And so this is like you have this competition of like one kid gets to live, you know, and it's like we're not. And That's it's like, a good. I never and, actually thought about it in that context. You're not. You're not. And it's also like being an adult, right? It's like idea of like you're going to be an adult now. You don't have friends like you used to. It's not cute. That's all behind you. Yeah. It's, it's dog. It's dog eat dog. You got to kill or be killed. Yeah. And that's it. Say goodbye to youth. Here we are. And I think it extends to like beyond Japan. Like if you made this in America, that similar idea of like it's time to say goodbye to childhood. Um, could, I think it could translate in that way. Yeah. Like imagine making this after the economic collapse that COVID has kind of brought on is that. Yeah. It's about shrugging off how the last gener generation failed you completely. Yeah. And before COVID, just like them constantly selling out our generation. Exactly. Leaving yeah. us nothing. And then telling us we're not working hard enough. Yep. We complain too much. We love avocado toast too much. I, All right. I don't really like avocado I actually toast hate though. it. It's a, well, I don't hate it. Like, I, if it's done well, it's pretty fucking tasty. You know what, though? If I go to a diner, I want me some pancakes. I want pancakes and really burnt bacon. Yeah, burn that shit. And eggs over easy. Mm. And toast. I'm trying to dip that shit. Well, I'll dip, scramble the eggs. Dip my what are we I'll, get, I'll get some cakes or some waffles. Mm. All, right, All right, next question. Uh, what do we double feature this with? Jacob. Um... Defer to Martin real quick. All right. So I mentioned it earlier. I fucked up. I shouldn't have. But Class 1999 is my pick. Um, and was that one of your picks? Yes. Um, oh. so, so for our listeners, if you haven't seen it before, Class 1999 is from 1990. Um, it is Mark Lester, who also directed Class 1984, um, Commando, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Showdown in Little Tokyo. Um has a quite a like uh, oh the Firestarter like a lot of great movies. Class of nineteen ninety nine basically takes place in nineteen ninety nine and um, the streets are run by teen gangs. It's almost like warriors level of everyone kind of has their look and they run the streets, but legally they still have to go to school or they'll be like they'll be put in jail. And so there is a new pilot program at this one school slash almost prison where they have. Um, found cyborgs who are basically ex-military cyborgs to the teachers. And if the kids got out of line, you fuck them up. 
But the cyborgs are malfunctioning and they're killing the kids. And so it's about like, fuck the system. It's the kids fighting back against the adults, but they're all like these like basically Terminators. And this movie fucking rules. And I, I saw class 1984, like six years ago. And I was like, I love this. And I was like, wait, there's a sequel. And it's a sequel, but it's like... To Class of 1984, arguably one of the greatest exploitation movies of all time. I would 100% agree. And Mark Lester is like one of the most underappreciated directors, I think, of all time. Because like he's got a fucking... His filmography is bananas. Didn't he also make Truck Stop Women? He also made that. I watched... Yep. His, um, and also um, Billy Joe and the Outlaw... I, think. Uh, I believe that's right. Yeah, yeah. With with uh, Marjo and um, Linda Linda, who's um, Linda Carter. Yeah. Um, Wonder Woman. Yeah. So, but the movie is like he really turns like he gets a nickel out of a penny. Like it, it, you can tell like it's very limited, and it came out right at the same time as Terminator Two, but it has like probably like a hundredth of the budget. I mean, literally probably a hundred. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, though, uh, John P. Ryan. As the main, God bless him. He is so out of his fucking mind in that movie, and also Pam Greer. Pam Greer is in it, and then uh, the Roddy. Well, Roddy McDowell. Oh yeah, you're right, Roddy McDowell. No, sorry, no, he's an eighty. He's eighty four. No, he's an eighty four. Yeah. But um, it's what's his name who plays Stacy Keach, who has that bleach blonde mullet as the guy who invented the robot teachers, who's he's fucking awesome he's got those weird contacts. contacts yeah so the word on the street is that was his idea they wanted him for the movie i and, could see it and they're like will you be in the movie he's like only if i can wear a bleach blonde mullets and have like basically cat's eyes and yeah, they're like Mark yeah Lester sure was like whatever i guess it's it's so that cool movies bananas that was an h like a 1 a.m on hbo yeah. classic for me i watched it so many times nice saw it on right. 35 millimeter a couple years ago at the ritz here i was there oh um, really show with terminator the double yeah, feature the double i was there, there. Was before, so before awesome. i even knew you yeah. <laughs> that's crazy yeah um so yeah class of 1999 all right are we going with mine mine is actually in the same exact vein as martin's the substitute with yes Tom oh my god where he plays a former mercenary who basically goes in to the i believe it's the la ghettos yeah um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like South Central. A psycho substitute teacher who wages war against the uh, gangs that run there because of their run, if I remember right, by Mark Anthony. And yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, and then you also have like Luis Guzman in it, and then uh, Glenn Turman, who was in like Showgirls and stuff, is like one of the other teachers. But it's it, it's it, there's a whole subgenre that class of 1984 and um, 99 sort of fit into, but it kind of emerged later in the 90s of like the youth run amok, especially in like Los Angeles movies because you have stuff like this. And I don't know, did you ever see 187 yeah. Samuel L. Jackson where it's kind of similar to where he's supposed to be the good teacher who goes in and they almost always involve these very racist caricatures of like Mexican gangs because in 187, it's like Clifton Collins Jr. is yep. like the bad guy who makes him reenact the... He and Samuel L. Jackson reenact like the end of the deer hunter together, uh, which if you've never seen that movie, also very good, uh, very bleak and violent. But the substitute is a lot of fun uh, because the substitute is all about this dude coming in and just 
waging war the only way he knows how. And Tom Berenger is going full Berenger. It's almost He's like unstoppable. Yeah, it's almost like his character from Platoon became a substitute teacher. <laughs> Well, yeah, he's a, he's an ex sniper, right? Well, he's a he was a former mercenary okay. who just came Sniper's off of some like great. if yeah. I remember right, he's like they ran like a black op in Cuba or something, uh, and then he needs essentially like a cover, and he's like, yeah, I'll be a substitute teacher in South Central LA of all places, and man, the violence in this movie is so fucking good. It's, it's like. It's the 90s action, uh, Dangerous Minds. Yeah, no, that's actually the best way to put it, Cody. Yeah, I I love that. It's totally like, imagine Dangerous Minds, but Michelle Pfeiffer just starts fucking murking people. (laughs) Like, total, like, man, now I want to watch a double feature of Class of 1999 with The Substitute. I have one more to add to the mix. Go. Disturbing Behavior. Oh, yeah, Ooh, the, that movie's good. The kids getting taken yep. over. Yeah. I just watched it two weeks ago, and I really love it. It's like also like 85 minutes long. Yeah. In and out. But um, Kevin Williamson? He did that? not. The writer, no. it's, it's, uh, the writer's actually legit. But David Nutter directed it, who directed every pilot of like every show ever. Oh, yeah, you're like, right. <laughs> like any famous show, like they're like, he's the pilot. He was the pilot king. He passed away a few years ago. But um, double check who wrote that, will you? Um, I will. Um but a certain behavior is, yeah, it's it's That's sort of like the Stepford Wives, but with like this with coastal... dis- disciplinary stuff for kids, and it's very like you have kids in a small town. It's supposed to be like I think like coastal Washington, and yeah, they our hero James Mars doesn't realize it, but there is a, a program at the school where they're brainwashing kids and basically putting chips in their brain right. to Isn't Katie Holmes in that Katie Holmes yeah. and, and uh, Nick, Nick Stahl, Stahl is yeah. awesome in it. And they're basically like to behave better. But of course it is Embry, Ethan Embry and, and flashbacks of his yeah. suicidal brother. The um, Ethan Embry's in it. Um, Bill Sadler is in that one. He's too. the, he's the, the janitor slash hero. Yeah. Um, his weird fucking, he's, he's kind of almost like supposed to, or like playing off, like being handicapped, but he's, he's faking it. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. He's he, it off. Yeah. And he's like, cause no one pays attention to you. And, um, but I think it's a similar thing where you have this idea of like these programs, like the oppressive systems of adults saying, this is how we fix kids. Yeah. And it backfired. Also, it's written by the writer of Con Air, Scott Rosenberg. That's who it is. Yeah. Also, like he became kind of like an in-house writer for uh, Jerry Bruckheimer because he also wrote Gone in sixty Seconds with the Nick Cage remake. I like that movie. Not good. I, I do like it, but um, Cody, what's your pick? Well, <clears throat> I had one in mind, but then you mentioning disturbing behavior made me think of a better one. I think uh, the faculty. I was, yeah, I was definitely. That popped in my head when we were talking about that, too. I think it's a good one. I have a tumultuous relationship with this movie. I'm sorry. They Go shot on. it right on the street, right? Is they, that also over at Betacheck? Uh, no, Austin High. Austin yeah, High. Yeah, okay. I shot it at my old high school. Austin High, Robert Rodriguez movie. Is that Rodriguez? Yeah, that's Rodriguez. Rodriguez. I didn't know that. mm-hmm. That's the one he made after Dust Till Dawn? Yeah, right after. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, they, it also ties in that these... Uh, the, the creatures, you know, you see them when they're small, but you never see them when they're big, but you see the shadows, and it's, it's like a big tentacle monster, so... You know, well, we're ties like, into the Japanese culture. We're like disturbing behavior is step for wives. This is like invasion uh, body, body snatchers. snatchers. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. With some thing elements as well. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. some really st- like a stacked cast because you have what? Elijah Wood. Uh-huh. Josh, Josh Hartnett. Hartnett. Josh Hartnett. Who plays the girl? You have Clea remember. Duvall. Yep. 
is is the badass um, the John b- Stewart is the science teacher? Robert Patrick oh, Robert he? Patrick oh yeah he's the he's like he's the, the Terminator yeah gym teacher slash coach like then uh, Marilyn Manson covers uh, we don't need no education yep that's true the movie, and Kevin Williamson did write that one yeah Kevin Williamson wrote that one doesn't Kevin Smith showing up in it at some point or am I, I remember getting not to my I do remember Harry Knowles is in it which is ugh. Ugh. Well, it's, it's interesting that that though I think pairs well with 1999 because you have these like especially the three teachers yeah. you have these teachers who are like authority figures who are kind of robotic yeah. and you don't know what their deal is and also hot ass J- Jordana Brewster. Oh, oh my Good god! Wow. <laughs> I've been in love with her for like now like 20 years or oh, yeah. 23 years I guess. But <laughs> oh, and Salma Hayek. That's right. She plays the nurse. Yep, she's good though, right? Uh, or she turned bad. She's a good one who turns bad because don't they find her body in the closet at some point where yeah. she's like possessed? I haven't seen the movie in a while. Little known fact: I actually dragged my entire family when I was sixteen to see that movie on Christmas Day. I bet that went well in the theaters. We all enjoyed it. We Is all this really your liked tumultuous it. Tumultuous relationship. Yeah, because I really liked it as a teenager uh, before I realized that Robert Rodriguez is like one of the worst filmmakers to ever pick up yep, a camera. Agreed. Uh, but like, you know, I was a huge fan of Desperado, El yeah. Mariachi, especially from Dust Till Dawn. Like yeah. That movie fucking... That's the only one of... Well... Dude got down on a, a creeper dolly on the I, floor to I the camera himself still, to do some fun shots. I will still like give him... Uh, El Mariachi, Desperado. Desperado is a fuckload of fun. I, I love that so movie. Yeah. That's his like John Woo, just the double fisting yeah. shit. Like and the whole like Tarantino stuff and like that that opening in the bar. When the soundtrack like, we talked about last session. Yep. Like yeah, and from Dust Till Dawn just rules. Yeah, like that's a that's kind of a patient zero for a lot of my like quote unquote grindhouse taste. In a Tarantino know? script. Yeah, so you, you can't forget Tarantino that. Yeah. Tarantino in it. Yeah. And I mean I still love Grindhouse. Like I, I love too. the movie that he and Tarantino made together. Uh, double feature, Planet yeah. Terror and uh, Death Proof. Yeah, exactly. There's stuff I haven't watched Sin City in years, but I remember really liking it. I wonder how that movie aged. But the rest of Robert Rodriguez's filmography, like you could just throw it in a dumpster and light it on fire. Alita is unwatchable. I hated that movie. I thought I didn't it was watch fine. It. Was I thought it, it was fine. I felt bad they shot it here in Austin. I had a lot of friends who worked on it. Yeah. And so I don't like, Studios. And like a lot of friends who did like, like all the artwork is great. Like all the like all the production well, that's design. Cameron, man, Cameron wanted to make that movie for so long, yeah. and he was still like kind of the he was on set. On very frequently. Yeah, he. Well, I guess he had a huge produced it. Yes. he had a huge fight with Rodriguez. I had a friend who was on set, and I guess he just cussed out because Rodriguez like was just fucking around and like not directing. And he's like, what are you yeah. doing? Like, just cussing out in front of the whole crew, I guess. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, that's you, not strange for Cameron, but. Fuck you, James Cameron, for life, baby. Oh, like, all the way. Oh, my God. Hasn't made a bad movie. One of the greatest on-set psychopaths of all time. <laughs> he got the abyss done. It's like, well, I thought about eight him years earlier, over you were talking about the, uh, the Japanese remake of Star Wars. Like, what was the Cameron film that, that came out right after Star Wars they worked on? He he started out kind of like a lower on the oh total battle level. beyond the stars yes yeah the jet with the John Sale script yeah yeah with the the ship that looked like boobs yeah, yeah 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 same kind of idea like imagine that movie but like with way more Japanese flair yeah like um, well that was his, that was him sharpening his teeth for Terminator well and, and he uh, did and uh, aliens he did a lot of 
behind the scenes stuff for like Corman because Escape I from think, New York he did well yeah and he did the matte paintings and stuff for yeah Escape he's, from he's New apparently York. insane with set design and then he did I believe he worked on Galaxy of Terror mm-hmm. as well um, which I might be mixing up with Battle I think he worked on Battle Beyond the Stars too I thought he did Galaxy of Terror he 100% yeah. did Battle Beyond the Stars I watched the whole thing about it okay then that that's also the one but I mean like he was one of those guys who would just show up to your set and do shit and you'd be like alright well, not, not just that like he started off like lower level on Battle Beyond the Stars and then he worked yeah. his way up to like DP or something yeah cause he probably murdered everybody else in his path he just didn't give him a chance. He I'm, was, I'm glad he, people he didn't on. sleep. He was there all yeah. the time, and he was like correcting everybody's stuff. Anyway, I'm glad they're dead, and I hope they burn in hell. <laughs> thank you, thank you, time to kill. <laughs> Next question: uh, Should we? Could you? Would you remake this today? Man, that that's a tough question because we kind of have it with Hunger Games, right? Yeah. Uh, so I was reading some of the like IMDb stuff about it, and they. Um, I don't know, somebody over here wanted to do it at some point, but then, like, as they were in talks or pre-production or something, like, Hunger Games came out, and they are like, well, there's no point now. Yeah, we kind of already have that, but I don't know. You go first, Martin. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because, like, I think the idea is so... There's elements you can take and just kind of do your own thing with. Again, we have Running Man. We have other stories, Hunger Games, that deal with similar themes and, and just basically similar elements. Um... I think you could totally remake it. I think that if anything, like there's there's room for if you want to pull on if you're saying there's more in the manga, like you know pull on more of the worlds into a, a remake. Um, just like I think take a different tack. I think even putting it someplace else, it's not Japan, and, and trying trying something I think new. That's my main problem with remaking it is that this movie feels uniquely Japanese. Yeah, in that I wouldn't. It's the same way where like I love Luca Guadagnino's uh, Suspiria remake and I'm glad that he made that movie but when you first announced that movie like to me Suspiria is one of the all time like that's an Italian horror movie yeah don't touch it just in the same way that like Battle Royale is like a piece of extreme Japanese cinema you just it belongs to that subgenre or that country for a reason so I would probably go with no. Just leave it alone. Like yeah. it's fine. Yeah, and my first choice would probably would say don't do it, which I usually say I don't like remakes usually. But, but I, I would watch the shit out of it. I'd be the first it. in line. So Cody, I don't think you could ever recreate the gravity. And and like we talked about earlier, that's a good point. Like we talked about earlier, that you could only find it back in the day uh, at certain places. It wasn't widely available. I don't think you're going to recreate that. And I, and I think it's more difficult to shock audiences now. Like you're not going to get it with just like student on student teen violence. I think you have like, you think about the remake of like last house on the left and then the film has no teeth. Yeah. Like, it, I don't know about all that. That rape sequence in that movie is still like one of the more vicious things I've seen in a studio movie. Yeah. I, but I, I'm just thinking overall though, that film is still like, there's a, a rawness to the original that oh yeah that you lose versus like for me then I think the Hills Have Eyes remake is better than the original um, one hundred percent yeah and I think that because the elements were I think that movie is very the original is very um, it's kind of messy it's shoddy it's it, one of it, Craven's like. Uh, more amateurish feeling. It, well, it's like between the true exploitation, like fucked upness of Last House on the Left, and like when he gets more polished with like um, Nightmare on Elm Street, with, with more of a budget. It's like in between that, and you have like the remake with you know Aja be like, okay, 
And Aja fucking brings it. That movie, movie, I showed it to my best friend, Seth, on spring break. And he's like, doesn't like horror films, doesn't like gore. He's like a super nice guy. He literally sat the second half of the film with his head between his legs in the theater. He goes, tell me when it's over. Okay. <laughs> so in, um, in college... We had a group of girls that a bunch of us would hang out with and, you know, we would just get fucked up, do a bunch of drugs together or whatever. And Your mom's? And, um, what? My mom? Uh-huh. Well, I did drugs with my mom, too. She's but anyway, um, did we basically were just getting fucked up on the Friday that they came out and somebody was like, let's go to the movies. And it was like, cool. How, uh, the Hills Have Eyes remake is out. Let's do it. And we all went. And the one girl, Kari, I'll never forget this. Literally, as soon as the rape sequence Jesus. began, she literally got up and left. She was like, nope, fuck this. I'm out. And it was just like, because like Aja was like, I'm doing it. I'm bringing every piece of like nastiness I can to this movie. That's still his best movie ever. Hands down. And I love High Tension. I like Piranha. fucking rules. I like the Piranha 3D. Oh, yeah. Piranha's great. I, I even like mirrors. The There's scenes in- with the lady leader. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was great. And I like, I like um, a lot of scenes in mirrors. I like. Um, I thought horns was shit. Um, yeah, horns sucks. And that book's great, but that movie was just terrible. I didn't read the book, but I kind of liked the movie. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I struggled it, with the movie. It, it, I really wanted to like it just because I like Aja, I like Radcliffe, and I like Joe Hill. It just took me back to like 15-year-old Cody like liking love stories, kind of like The Crow. It has that vibe for sure. Yeah, that's true. I can see that. Supernatural coming yeah. to help you get revenge. So that, yeah. That's that's what I liked about it. Like I didn't think it was a phenomenal film, but... I just lo- like... I really like... Do you want to talk about a movie that, again, I... Because I remember when High Tension played at the Philadelphia Film Fest as a midnighter, I missed it. And then I bought the bootleg. Again, it was another bootleg I bought at an Exum film screening so that I could see it. And that bootleg was fucking edited. I'll never forget it. It was missing part of the dresser head smash that I wouldn't realize until years later. Because even when they cut away, it's still like the geyser of blood and everything. And it looks like just horrific. But there was stuff missing from the cut that I first saw of high tension. I went to the matinee with my brother. Jeez, like we were waiting because we were so excited. <laughs> Wait, did you see the dubbed version then? No, it was it had subtitles. Oh, it did. Yeah, because I remember at my local theater they showed the dubbed version. For some reason in Greenwood, which I Indiana, because it was like seeing a modern Fulci movie. I've got to show that to my wife. It's it's a great film. Really, I Aaron's hate the, I hate the twist, but I love. I'm pretty the movie. sure I have it. I got I got a big old like large moving box full of DVDs in my garage. I'm pretty sure it's in there. High tension fucking shreds. I don't care about the twist. Like, yeah, it, it's it, so violent. I like the movie so much that I don't. As, as, and I hate the twist, but it doesn't ruin the movie. Yeah, there's so much talent on display, and the gore in it is ridiculous. True. All right. Tangent over. Anyway, what would, question was this? Would we, uh, would you could you should you remake? Oh yeah, you're right. We already. So now we're to our uh, grand finale. Is this a certified face melter? Jacob. Yes. Unequivocally, yes. Like, it's just, it, it is the very definite definition. When I worked at a movie theater, and I, we bought this bootleg. Tony was another projectionist with me. Uh, we had these uh, projectors, because it was back when you actually, like, you became a certified projectionist. You spliced prints together. You, you actually worked with film. But the uh, projectors that were used 
to basically do the like advertise like the local advertisements like come eat at Bob's yeah. restaurant or whatever those were just like almost like digital slide projectors that, projectors that you could buy anywhere and we found out that you could essentially unhook them and hook a Blu-ray player up to them oh, so nice. we would actually have our own screenings of stuff we always wanted to see on the big screen after working we would invite our friends would the and, audio play well through the... Yeah, because we could hook it up through the actual like speaker system in the auditorium. Awesome. So we had the full like experience of just watching these movies on the big screen. So like we started doing it just together and then friends started inviting their friends and then they would tell them like, oh, these guys are fucking crazy. Like they'll show shit that like, you know, you can't see anywhere else. We showed Battle Royale and we told friends... And this is like, you know, 15, 20 movies deep by the time we're doing this and like we had friends who told their friends, they were like, Oh my God, they're going to actually show this battle Royale movie. You can't see anywhere. And like 60 people showed up. So like we had a full on like screening of it to where people lost their fucking minds over like battle Royale. So I actually got to see it in a theater and watch it work. It's magic on people. And it was just like, Oh my God, the very definition of just watching faces be melted off. So yes, 100%, it is a face melter. I am both delighted and amazed that that story has not come up until now during the podcast. Well, that's why I was saving it. Okay, great. Yeah, I would agree. I think um, I have issues with the film, it's like narratively, but I think what's it's it's being a face melter doesn't really matter. It's definitely, I think face melter somewhat is synonymous with Midnighter at times. You know, it feels like, that's fair. Is is this a kind of film, horror or not, action or not? Again, Billy Jean in my mind was a face melter where it's like, can you show this to a crowd at midnight who wants to see something fun that they've never seen before? And will it kind of blow them away in some fashion? Then yes. Like, I think that especially going in blind, again, I think for me, this one was built up too much for me. So it didn't never hit the gore, the horror, the, or the kind of viscera that I expected. That being said, Thinking of it objectively, it's a crazy fucking movie. So I think, and your story about you know having a crowd, sixty people who didn't know as much about it, maybe you, you know, yeah, because it was totally like dudes who were into movies who were like bringing girlfriends. Because that's the other thing is that we had the full run of the place, so like we were lit- we we would turn the AC down to like sixty degrees so that we could smoke both weed and cigarettes in the theater and it would like freeze the smell out by the the next morning we would buy cases of beer and we would just be we would literally sit in there some nights and watch two three movies at a time until Dang. the sun came up and just be fucking shit-faced by the time we like rolled out of it we created our own grindhouse Man, in this little a- like nine auditorium theater theater in paoli pennsylvania those, yeah. those are those are some golden years right there yeah there's there there was a lot and like if i ever ran down the stuff that we watched it would both be amazement and like wow you guys are demented <laughs> that's incredible uh cody oh 100 face melter guaranteed yeah, this Without felt like I mean, as soon as you picked it, it was one that was like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so Martin, you were saying a second ago, you know, you, even though the, the gore didn't reach a, a certain heightened level, like I still think like the gore per minute makes up for that. 
there's just so much in it. There's only a few squibs, like actual real life squibs that are used, but there's plenty yeah, there's of, a lot of CG. Blood there's in CG. This. Well, that's mostly with like gunshots, right? But the rest yeah. of it's like actual, you know, tubed in, pumped out blood. That's, yeah, the artillery, like the good artillery. Japanese spray, exactly. exactly. Just that Kurosawa, you yeah. know, just just yeah. a, a fan spray of of visceral bright red blood. Yeah, if um, anyone that doesn't think this is a face melter is a fool. Damn. Just laid down the gauntlet. That's about as like wrapped up a little package you can get. Yeah, put a put a bloody bow on it. Yeah, there we go. So that's this week's episode on 2000s Battle Royale Spine Number Eight for the Secret Handshake Podcast. Cody, thank you for picking the second face melter thus far. That we so we're now we're up to what twenty five percent because two to uh, two out of eight. Yep. Yep. Hard, hard target and battle royale. Both Asian. Uh, influenced I mean uh, cinema. Yeah. there you go yep yep so we might be starting a trend who knows but what do we got are we starting a trend or are we just recognizing one mm, maybe recognizing one what's next week killer are we party doing, oh man we're doing a slasher next week with killer party I guess if you know what that movie is you're in for a treat <laughs> but I think we're gonna go pretty deep dive in terms of slasher movies so Hope to see you there. Hope you got four hours set aside. Yeah, exactly. Buckle up. <laughs> How much? Because, Martin, didn't you write like a thesis? I wrote my master's slashers? thesis on slasher films. Oh, my films. God. There you go. And I wrote for Fangoria about slasher movies for a while. So, <laughs> All right. So you're not going to hear from me much next week, but tune in. Yeah. Drop out and do a bunch of acid and watch Killer Party. Join us for Spine Number 9. See you then. Yeah.